0: There we go. Hey guys, sorry, um, either my internet connection or YouTube was giving me a hard time and the stream wasn't going live, but uh, only took about a minute to fix that. Um, if you guys type in yes, if you can hear me, that would be great, um, that would be fantastic, thank you. Uh, and so once I see those, I'll confirm that uh, we're all good. Um, in the meantime, I'm just gonna explain the the basics of what we do. Oh, great, thank you, Carrie. so we're good. Um I was worried I really miss I really enjoy doing these with you guys. You guys have fantastic questions every time. Um I like to think that I give good answers. You guys tell me I do, which encourages me to keep doing this. Um and you know, like I was talking about, we've been coaching and mentoring mentors for the last 22 years. So you'd think after that period of time, we'd know what we're talking about, and I think we do. Um, What we do here at InventRight, for those of you who are new, is licensing. So what licensing is, it's, um, I'm biased, but I think it's better for most inventors than venturing. Venturing being a fancy way of saying, make it and sell it yourself. People think they need to raise money. They think they need to file a patent with a patent attorney. They think they need a full prototype. They think they need to start a business and sell the product themselves. But I can tell you, retailers don't take one SKU, one product companies very seriously. They know you're not gonna deliver on time. You're gonna have quality control issues. You don't know what the heck you're doing. You're underfunded, understaffed. They don't wanna deal with you, but they do wanna deal with these larger companies that you can license to. So what licensing is, that large company that you license to and their manufacturers that sell to the retailers are the equivalent for B2B type stuff. And so when you license, it's their money and it's their workforce, maybe they have maybe they have 500 employees, maybe they have 50 employees, maybe they have 10 employees. depends on the size of the company. But you don't need to raise money, it's their money. You don't need to hire people, it's their people. And you don't need to create distribution from scratch. Maybe they're already in 30,000 stores. So they have the relationships with all those buyers at those retailers. So you're tapping into all that, and that's a beautiful thing. So you don't need to start a business. You don't have to mortgage your house and home. And once you do that licensing deal, it's all in them. Now, you still need to reach out. In our case, with most of the time, most of our students are reaching out to 20 or 30 companies or even more. Sometimes you you only have 8 or 12, and that's fine. Um, But you're reaching out to a good deal of companies with the right marketing materials, doing and saying the right things. That's what our students do. And I've never had one of our students in 22 years that got knocked off by a company that they presented to that I'm aware of in 22 years. Um, And they're doing deals and they're interacting with companies. And that's the real world that our students live in. And unfortunately, some other inventors live in this fictional world that invention promotion companies pitch them say, oh, you don't have to do anything. Yes, that's a million dollar idea. Just give us 10 or 12 grand. We'll pretend to work on it. Or they say they'll work on it. Who knows if they're working on it? I have literally never met an inventor personally that had an invention promotion company license their product. And the um, Federal Trade Commission and the Patent Office warns against these companies. Our students know what's going on because they're freaking doing it. It's not some company making them promises and pretending to work on it. So um, it's very powerful what we're doing, but we're asking inventors to do work. So you can't just have an idea and then not do any work because you're such a genius inventor. And that's, it's hard to make that transition to go, I need to accept, I need to learn all this boring stuff that's not as exciting as coming up with an idea in order to license it and sell it. And getting back to the licensing thing, you're licensing your product for royalties. So you get a small percentage of every sale that the company makes and you get paid your royalties. Sorry, let's see if I can get the camera in focus. Hopefully it fixes itself, I'm a little blurry. Oh, there we go, okay. So you get a small royalty for every unit that they sell and you get paid your royalties quarterly. So another thing that we cover quite often on every one of these chats is you get paid as they get paid. Asking for large amounts of upfront money most of the time is the wrong thing to do because they're risking all their money and now you're asking for money upfront they're like, we haven't made a dime and we're risking tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars on this new product and you want 50K or half a million up front, screw you. You know, that's kind of their, their attitude. And I don't blame them. Inventors that they don't have time, our other co-founders have been saying this lately. Like, they don't have time to train you on what's realistic. And they'll just say no to your idea because you're being unrealistic. So we teach our students to be very real transparent. Think about not just yourself, but think about that marketing manager. How can you help them look good within their company and not be afraid of introducing you and your product around because you're not going to embarrass them? So, okay. So let's jump into the Q&A. You guys can type your questions into the chat and I am going to answer them and we'll be doing this for another 52 minutes. So here we go. Uh, Brandon, a bunch of you typed in early, which is great. I can't get to everybody's questions, but if you could type them earlier rather than later, I'm more likely to get to them. Hey, Andrew, where can we see one minute video samples in showing your product as the solution to a problem? Should the video focus exclusively on benefits or do you need to include the features? So one of the examples that we like to give and the, the uh, three things you can call these types of people, is types of companies, but as seen on TV, infomercials, DRTV, direct response, it's all the same thing. As seen on TV is probably what well, most of you think about it these days. So a lot of those commercials are really cheesy. So I'm not saying do it cheesy like that, but their format's good. Most of the time it's a problem and then a solution. So not all videos have to be problem solution, but a lot of them are. And so if you go on YouTube and you watch infomercials, or as seen on TV ads, you'll see the basics of the format. And, you know, you're right, Brandon, it's about benefits. It's not about features. You might throw a feature or two in there, but it's always benefit oriented. And here's the problem and here's the solution. And there's usually an emotional component to our head coach. Terry O'Mara has been talking to our coaches a lot and our students about like emotional marketing, tapping into those emotions. How does it make you feel? You know, and so sometimes there's an expression on the face, you know, in the video. So a lot of our students are just doing cell sheets. They're not doing videos. Sometimes our students will just do a cell sheet. Sometimes they'll just do a video. Sometimes they do a cell sheet and a video. It really depends on the product. Our coaches help our students figure out what's appropriate for that particular idea. But when you do videos, it's good to be a little emotional, not ridiculous or super cheesy like the DRTV guys. If it's not a DRTV product, if you're doing a DRTV product, you can be a little bit over the top, but the basic format, if you go into YouTube and you find some as seen on TV infomercials, you'll see, and they will be probably, they might be longer than you want to do. All of your videos should really try to be under 30 seconds, definitely under a minute, should never go longer than a minute. So you might see an infomercial that's three minutes or two and a half minutes and you you don't want to do that, but you can see the basic format. Oh, okay. They included some more details. I won't include that much detail. Or a lot of the infomercials you'll see, sorry, my nose is a little itchy. They'll repeat the same thing over and over, and you just want to do it once. They can play the video again. So that was a very thorough answer, I think, to your question, Brandon. I hope that helps. Okay. Um, Hector said a question in advance since I work when the live stream starts, for reaching out. Well, I guess you can watch the replay then, so that's kind of cool. For reaching out to board game companies, what is needed and what is not? PPA, sell sheet, one minute video, instructions, prototype. So board games are a different animal if you're a board game inventor um, than uh, products. I mean, most of the time, you're not gonna be filing a PPA on a board game. So again, this is probably a good time for our legal disclaimer. Um, Anything I share with you today should not be considered legal advice. Please consult your attorney if you're looking for legal advice. In the area of board games, um, quite often a copyright, which is completely free, is your best form of protection. If a board game doesn't have a lot of functionality, utility, and moving parts, like that old game when I was a kid, Um, mousetrap that has these moving parts. You could claim functionality with a provisional patent application on that, but most of you doing board games, and this is just for board games, guys, not for most, almost all of you are going to be doing provisional patent applications. Um, You're copywriting the rules, okay? Now, you can file with the Library of Congress. You can just do it. It's automatically copyrighted if you put the copyright notice on there. Anything you do, if you give a speech, it's automatically copyrighted, actually, technically. Um, So, you're gonna, you're gonna use your rules, which is great because it's freaking free. And you can file it with the Library of Congress and pay whatever it is. You can actually file multiple things in that if you wanna do that, but it's not necessary. So um, you do need a sell sheet, you asked about that. And a video is good too. So I would say with board games, it's really nice to have a sell sheet and a video. Um, and what are you showing in that video? Are you showing them somebody playing the game for 15 minutes? Hell no, they don't have time for that. Um, You're showing the core of it within one minute, and you're not sharing all the rules and everything. Um, So you're intriguing them. You're going fishing with a sell sheet and a video, and you're seeing if they want more information about it. And you do need to have the rules written with the board game. Um, That is very important. Uh, Okay. And you do need quite often to create some sort of prototype. It can be cruder, but you do need to have something. So that was from Hector. Thank you, Hector. Um, Oh, okay. Hector says, thanks for your time. Looking to watch you on my breaks. Okay, so he'll be catching the replay. Um, uh, Johnny said, hey, uh, what's your most favorite invention? my our most i mean this is just a very small sampling of some of our students products up here on the wall behind me i don't think i have one favorite invention from all our students i really don't um i love them all and the reason why i love them all even some of the ones that aren't maybe some aren't quite as exciting as others um is because i know the inventor's story so it's like When you come up with ideas, it's part of who you are. And it's frustrating as an inventor not to um, be who you are, which is to get your products out in the marketplace so people can see them. And it's, it's just, and so when we can help you and can coach you through the whole process and you can be that successful inventor, to me, it's not important it is important if our students make money on their inventions but maybe one over here is making a hundred thousand dollars a year and the other one over here is making eight thousand dollars a year okay it was a success because they went through the process and they realized they can do it and it's also a success if they don't license their product but they got really close because like oh damn i can do this it's funny when people don't license their first product some or like, damn! I got so close. This is so doable. I got this now. And then others are like, oh, I didn't license my product. I'm so disappointed. And I don't know if this. War-. It's like, what are you talking about? Like you, you got really close, but for whatever reasons, at this point in time, you couldn't license it. And I always tell our students where that happens. I say, don't throw that product in the garbage can. Put it on the shelf. Our students license stuff all the time. Six, eight, ten months later, reach out to all the same companies. Now, you're not gonna reach out to companies that said, it won't work because of these things. That's obnoxious, don't do that. But if they give you a generic no, not at this time, not a right match, which is very, very common, I would not hesitate to reach out six, eight, 10 months later, or even further again. And they just might be in a different headspace next time you see them. They might've actually liked your product, but they were too busy with too many projects. They didn't wanna tell you that because then you wouldn't go away. Um, and, and they said, no, sorry, not interested. So you hit them up again, and the next time you get lucky, in two weeks earlier, their boss said, "We need new products," and now they want to license your product. Almost no inventors would ever do that. I, we've been around twenty-two years, and I was only say for about nine or ten years. Have I been guiding our students to do that? So, um, so I've I've also found, you know, if you really believe in it, and you got you got close, and you got some traction, um, it's a lot easier to move on to your second one if you know you're not done with this. You're like, I'm not done with this. I'm going to do it again 10 months. I'll just file a provisional patent again for 75 bucks. I'll reach out, same companies, a bunch of others. Because Andrew said, maybe you just didn't hit them at the right time or they're too busy. They didn't want to tell you they are interested because they didn't have time for another project right then, right? And that is very, very true. So um, if you guys are not getting our coaching and you're working on your own, you don't license your first product, keep moving forward. And, you know, now, if... Five companies say it won't work because of this and what they all say is kind of similar and you can't fix that. You're done with that project. But it's much more common that you get these non-specific no's. You don't get anything really solid. And, you know, in that case, you should if you get 30 no's from 30 companies, you're still not done with it. And people are always amazed that I say that, but it's, it's very true. So let's see what else we got here. Um, So, Johnny, I I don't have a specific favorite invention. My God, I love them all. Um, (laughs) Just an invention. I just love inventions and innovative things. I couldn't just pick one, but it was a fun question. Um, Another, uh, this isn't Johnny, this is John, uh, said, "Uh, Hi, Andrew, I'm ready for my first invention, and it's so simple. I scheduled a consultation with your firm earlier, and I would love to talk to an expert because I want to donate 49% of any and all royalties. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I get that more often than you guys think. Um, where an inventor is like, I want to donate half of my royalties or some all my royalties to this charity or that charity. Um, and I, I think it's important to, it's kind of like when the plane's about to crash and those masks come down and you have a spouse, or you have a kid, you put your mask on first so you can save them, right? And I think I've talked to some inventors that barely have two pennies to rub together, yet they're talking about how they're gonna donate their money to charity. And I, I wonder about the psychology of that, I'm not talking about you, John, because I'm not sure if you're saying you wanna donate to us or donate it to, I had some people saying, I wanna create a scholarship for other people that can't afford it. So they can take invent right. Other people saying they want to donate to a charity. But so good on you for wanting to help others. That's great. And you may be well off where that's perfectly appropriate. But when people aren't like paying their utility bill, yet they're saying they're gonna donate their royalties to charity, like why? You gotta help yourself first so you can help others more, right? Um, and I think I don't know, maybe they like they don't feel like they're deserving of it. So they have to say to themselves, I'm gonna donate my royalties to somebody else. I, I don't know exactly what's going on with that psychology. Again, John, I'm not talking about you. Um, but it's interesting, More, I, you'd be surprised over the years how many times I've heard people say that. Um, sometimes it tapers in beautifully, like the product will relate to some donation they want to make. I've had a few students that I think are a little misguided and they want to insist that the company donate the. A percentage of their profits to a certain charity having to do with whatever the product it is and i think that if there are companies that are great and they're out there to do that and they might be very up for that if you see they're already doing that with other products but if they don't do that companies will pretty much do what they already do so what do i mean by that if they make really cheap products you know there's some areas where people want cheap products then that's what they're going to do they're not going to make this super high-end version of your product. They're going to make cheap, a cheap, make a cheap version of it. If they do super high-end stuff, they're going to make that. If they do middle-of-the-road stuff, they're going to do that. They're going to typically also distribute where they already distribute. Sometimes inventors will be like, "You should sell here and here, and here." It's like, well, they're selling in these thirty thousand stores. That's probably what they're going to do. You can suggest maybe they can get distribution here. They probably won't. They might. And you can make that suggestion. But the whole point of licensing is tapping into what they're already doing. And by looking at where they already are, they're probably already going to do that. They're probably going to market pretty much the same way they market now. So like if you notice a company has slightly deceptive marketing tactics, they might do that. If you notice companies really straight up, they're going to do that. You know, if they're going to a certain market, they're going to do that. You, you can't tell a company to do something dramatically different than what they're doing now. They're going to do more or less what they're already doing, which is fine. It's predictable. It's a good thing. And that's part of how you create your list of potential licensees. So, John, I think it's fantastic. You want to contribute 49% of any royalties. I don't know to what. That's fantastic. And if you're financially solid, that's amazing. And maybe that motivates you. But if if somebody has only has two pennies to rub together and they can't pay the utility bill and they're telling me they're going to donate it, I'm like what's going on with that psychology and I, you'd be surprised how often i've seen it it's not something i see often i've just seen it seen a pattern after 22 years you start to see these patterns um okay mr reaction said hello if i made a linkedin account for the sole purpose of licensing uh, licensing do you have any advice on how to utilize yeah i think that's great well first of all on linkedin you're only supposed to have one account per person um, so uh, you know I think that you you want to mention that you're a product developer in your um, title on your LinkedIn profile and if you're focusing on pet toys or if you're focusing on kitchen or automotive aftermarket or some kind of industrial product it's it's if you're if you're like in eight different categories maybe product developer is kind of better. But if you're focusing in a particular category and you're going to be working on multiple dog toys or multiple kitchen gadgets, having something about you being an innovator in the kitchen category or innovating in kitchen category. So when they go look at your profile, they're like, "Ooh, that matches up, right? They can see maybe you're a member of some LinkedIn groups that have to do with that sort of thing. Um, and so that could be very beneficial. Now, we have a very in-depth program called Smart Pitch where we teach our students specifically it doesn't get more nichey than this licensing is already a niche we teach inventors to license our products to large companies and then this program teaches inventors that are licensing specifically how to use linkedin so we have a very in-depth program where we meet twice a week and the coaches guide the students on this too and we talk as a group all the invent right students um, that have signed up for our coaching program about specifically how to link licensing for LinkedIn. So yeah, if you're creating a profile just for licensing, and we have students that will create a profile, they'll use it for looking for jobs, but they'll also use it for licensing. That's perfectly okay. That wasn't your question. Most people are utilizing LinkedIn for multiple things, but um, if you're just doing it for licensing, or even if you're not, I would suggest having the word product developer in your title. And if you're in a particular category, have some sort of mention of the fact that that's what you specialize in. It just looks good. So there's a little bit of advice there. Um, Brad said, if you think your product will cost twice as much as others on the market, can it still be commercially viable if the benefits are strong enough? That's a very good question. Um, If it costs twice as much... So let's say... There are 15 products that are kind of in the same space as yours, Brad. And yours is literally the highest price of any of those products is $25. And yours is going to be $50. Is that a problem? Probably. Um, Maybe not, though. So how much more benefit does your product offer? You know, if people, let's, let's say, let's put it this way. So let's say if there's 15 products kind of in the same space, and let's say three of them are on the shelf at Walmart and yours is right there. And those three others that are literally half the price or less than yours, would some people buy yours? You gotta be honest with yourself. Would 25% of them buy yours? And do you, and cause the company's going to use their gut. So you gotta use your gut and go, would, would they buy it? And if the answer is yes, go for it. Because then the marketing manager might go, yeah, I I know it's twice as much, but um, wow, that's an incredible benefit. You know, Maybe it lasts 10 times longer and people are like, this is actually cheaper because it lasts 10 times longer. Maybe it does five other things that that thing doesn't, the other one doesn't do that's half the price. But I would make the argument that you said um, costs twice as much as others on the market. But if your thing does five things that this other wasn't, doesn't do that's apples to oranges, you know? Um, now another thing you need to think about is if a company, like when we bring on companies with our students, which we do CEOs, marketing managers, um, they're very honest. And one of the things we ask is what is your price range? And they're like, Oh, we sell products from $5 to 25. And we go, do you have any above 25? Nope, never don't have any above 25. So now others like, oh yeah, we got a few. We'd consider that. So when you look at all the companies you're trying to license to, and if none of them have any other products that are above 25 and yours is going to be 50, again, you're asking them to do something they've never done, right? Less likely to happen. But there might be other companies that aren't doing quite that same product. And they sell $50 products, so you might license to them. So it's a matter of figuring out your potential licensees. So Brad, without knowing your product, without knowing your point of difference of your product over others, there's no way in hell I could answer it. Maybe 50 is fine over 25. We're making up this number. You didn't say that number. Maybe twice as much is OK. Maybe it's not. I can't say, but I've given you some criteria and some things to think about. Um, johnny says what if my invention has two different markets to sell to possibly two different companies to license with or probably or probably not possible question mark thank you Um, so first off like i said earlier most of our students are reaching out to 20 or 30 companies and most inventors left to their own devices they only have two or three that's extremely common when i talk to inventors outside invent i look at the product i'm like and no you got like 20 or 30 here you're not thinking about this right so our coaches guide our students looking at their specific product to guide them to expand their list um but it isn't uncommon that you got so you if you're okay you said what if my invention has two different markets to sell to so sometimes you change the product up and so markets could be geographies it could be like, here's a low price version, a higher price version, maybe for this market, the product's a little different. And for this market, the product's a little different over here. They're not competing with each other. That's fine. So you might do one sell sheet for each in that particular case, have two different lists of companies, as long as they're not stepping on each other's toes and the marketing's a little bit different the product's a little different. You might, you essentially have two products, not one. Now, I don't know in your particular case, because we're not going to publicly disclose what your product is, of course, and I don't know what it is. That may or may not be applicable. But if it is, it's perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine. Um, let's see. low boy. I saw this one earlier, and I kind of commented on it by my earlier comment. Have you ever had an event rights student that did not get a licensing deal during the course of the program? Of course. But every student leaves the program knowing how to license because they've gone through the real life process they haven't like just watched videos and take quizzes and talk to their coach they worked on their freaking projects maybe one maybe two occasionally three but everybody at least one maybe they'll license that beyond the first six months membership maybe they'll move on to another product maybe they'll they'll they didn't license the product but they'll bring it back you know six eight ten months later and they'll work on another product so the one thing that we want everybody to leave right as a student is that they've learned the process. The goal is to license a product, but not everybody's going to license a product. No inventor on the face of the planet, I don't care what kind of rock star inventor they are, will license every single product they work on. That's freaking ridiculous. You didn't say that, but some inventors like, think that's normal. That's exactly why you don't want to spend 10000 on a patent, 5000 on a prototype every time you come up with an idea. So that's the big crux in the right approach. You spend $75 on a provisional patent, you use our smart IP software to file it, $75, not 10,000, and then you do a virtual prototype instead of a prototype. Or you do a prototype, it looks good, but you cobble it together with some stuff you bought at the store. We have students that build more expensive prototypes, and that's a financial risk, but you're not selling your prototype or your patent, you're selling the benefit of your product. So if you can relay the benefit in a sell sheet, in a marketing piece, because that's what you're selling, no company is going to run for the hills because you didn't have a production-ready prototype or you didn't, most persons don't have a prototype at all. It's okay. Now, some of them will go, well, we want you to do that. And others, you'll talk to them and they'll be like, oh yeah, you answer our questions. We don't need a prototype now. But the inventor was ready to do it because that's what the company said. But we advise the inventor to go on, see what their questions are, answer the questions. They're like, oh yeah, we just need enough info to get some quotes overseas. To make sure we can make this a reasonable price. You gave that to us. No, we no longer need a prototype. Other times they might put it on you, but at least you have interest now. So um, yeah, so that that's that's a big part of our approach. So, you know, what I'm really proud of is it doesn't matter if a lot of you aren't going to become invent right students. We're getting you guys into the right mindset. And it is the right mindset, it's the invent right mindset. And what does that get you? Well, it gets you not mortgaging your house and home. It gets you not spending so much money that you can always move on to your next product. It gets you working on more than one product after a period of time. It gets you in the right mindset to realize two or three companies will never get you a licensing deal. You need to reach out to 20 or 30, okay? Um, it emphasizes what's important, like a good marketing piece that does the selling for you. It tells you things like the right approach tells you, you don't need to be a sales schmuck you don't need to be a salesperson. You need to push out that sell sheet or video that's going to do the selling for you. and You need to do a good job of it because most of you haven't done any sales before. And what we teach you to do is not sales. It's outreach, showing them how they can make money. At the same time, the last thing you ever want to say is we can become millionaires together or we'll make millions or if we only get 2% of the market, none of that crap, just showing them the marketing. So they see your sell sheet or video and go, oh, Yeah, if our customers saw this, they want to buy it. So it's not for them, it's for their customer. So these are fundamentals that the vast majority, if not 99% of inventors get at least one of these, if not multiple things wrong. It's many other things. And then even like sharing this basic information, people then don't think it applies. Oh, but that one doesn't apply to me. I handle that. And then we look at it, you know, once they become an I student, we're like, no, you're off on this. If you're off on any part of this process, it's not going to work. And but once we get people in that mindset and they get that real life experience, they can license products the rest of their life. Okay. Um. Uh, Brooke said, Andrew, I'm very grateful for you, Stephen, and your team. Just bought one simple idea. I plan to read it. Um, get an open. Get an open profile with the USPTO, the Patent Trademark Office and then call your team about getting a coach. I don't understand this part. I plan to read it. Okay, you're planning to read our book, One Simple Idea, and get an open profile with the Patent Office, and then call your team about getting a coach. Okay, I don't know what you mean by that. I don't know if you mean like you're getting ready to file a provisional patent. I'm not sure about that, but that sounds good. Um, And you guys can go to InventRight.com, click on Contact Us, and you can book a call. It will be with Sylvia or Dana. They're both super friendly. They're never pushy. Um, they're not going to hound you if you don't sign up and go, don't you want to get rich? How come you didn't sign up? We don't do crap like that. I'm saying the word crap a lot today. I'll try to refrain from doing that. But we don't. We just don't do that. We're, we're very friendly and very helpful. And you guys are welcome to take advantage of all our free stuff on our YouTube show, whether it's live stream or the 800 plus videos. I think we're getting 900 into account on that. And I want to remind you guys before we close here. We're trying to get to 60,000 subscribers. I think we're about 700 away from that. If you're not subscribed down below, click subscribe and click on the notifications button. And that's your way of saying thank you to me and to the whole InventRight team for answering your questions live on this chat for free. So that we'd appreciate that. Um, let's see what else we got here. Alexandre, um, I don't ever know if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, Alexander, maybe, uh, uh, he's a long-time follower. Do you have cases of students licensing in European countries that are not selling in the USA and Canada? Yes, we do. Um, absolutely. But as I said on past chats before, you're more likely to license to a US or Canadian company or an Asian or European or Australian company or a company of other places that are selling in the US. Because Companies that are selling in the U.S. have, at least the employees, have a U.S. mindset, which is anybody can make it. We don't care about your background. We don't care if you finish high school or college. If you have a good idea, we want to see it. And I find that less so these days in Europe and other countries. What are your qualifications? Who are you? You're an individual. Why do we deal with you sort of situation? Um And there's still some of that attitude. I find it less and less in Europe every year, but it's still there. Okay. In Australia, they call it the tall poppy syndrome. In other words, you grow up as a flower too high, they chop you down. And I've talked to many of our Australian students um, about that. They say that, yeah, that is, they've told me that's the attitude. So now if you're in, so let's say you're in Australia, I would say reach out to US and Canadian companies or any other co- companies that are based there from other countries that sell in the US and Canada, go ahead and reach out. But you, if you are Australian and you just reached out to Australian companies, you're toast, you're not gonna license. Now, but does that mean that one company here or there couldn't license from Yeah, we'll add those Australian companies to your list, go for it. Same thing if you're in the UK or Germany or France or what have you. But if you restrict yourself, if you're in Europe or Asia or Australia and you only reach out to companies in your own home country, you will probably not license and you'll be dramatically reducing your chances of success by at least half, if not 75%. Okay. Now, I don't care if you're not, if you're, let's say you're from Germany and you're like, well, I don't know the US retails. Well, get online, figure it out. It's pretty freaking easy. You know, and I've found our European students do a better job of figuring out who the U.S. retailers are. And you don't license to them. You license the company selling to them. And Americans will go, well, I know who the retailers are near me because they live on the East Coast. But there's a whole other set of retailers on the West Coast. So I've actually found our European students do a better job of making their list of companies because they don't make assumptions. Because the U.S. is a very big place and the distribution varies depending on where you are in the country. And so they do a better job of it because they're not making assumptions as to who they can license to. And they do a better job of making their list of companies. Now, the Americans that don't make those assumptions and really research and do their list, they do just fine as well. So um, don't don't limit yourself to your home country um, and definitely if you're not outside the US and and Canada. Um, I would say, though, I mean, some of our students like our American students, they're just doing US and Canadian companies or companies selling US and Canada. Should they like look a little bit over in Europe and not be intimidated by, oh, this is just a company only selling in Germany or France or what have you, or Spain? Um, We got a couple of Spanish companies recently, UK companies coming on or bridging the gap sessions. Yeah, they're missing out a little bit. Not as much as if you're in Europe and you're only reaching out to European companies because they're still a little bit more closed than the US, Uh, still a fair amount. And there's just the volume isn't there. The US is a. I joke, this is a joke, but it's true. Um, the US is a very large country with a lot of people. And we will buy, 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 we'll just it's an addiction. And then we'll work ourselves in the ground to pay for all the crap that we bought. <laughs> Europeans tend to I know my dad's originally from Germany. And um, they'll tend to analyze their purchases more carefully. So there's less people and they buy less stuff. So Anybody that is licensing, especially consumer products, if you're not reaching out to the US or companies that sell in the US, you're you're not doing it right. So that was a very thorough answer to a great question from you, Alexandria. so thank you. Um, uh, Marcus says, even though I have a social media, I have social media, I bought the LinkedIn book by Steve and Benjamin and just made an account the advantages seem seem worth it andrew um andrew you are my first connection i've requested that's great i'll make sure to get in my linkedin and, and approve you um so that's fantastic uh and so yeah we have a book on that and benjamin our linkedin for licensing expert and stephen i think what's nice about if you sign up with our coaching program um and we have benjamin we have a meeting every other week live on zoom with all the other invent students that are doing this and one student's saying i reached out to 10 companies and nobody got back to me and then the benjamin and the other people have more experience are analyzing what they did and and then they come back the next uh, two weeks later and they're oh i got into a bunch and other people are like here's what's working There, there are people that are in the game sharing their experiences that's really cool but the book is is a fantastic start um Sebastian said, "Hey, I just got my provisional patent filed and I'm looking to license my invention. I have a sell sheet and a list of companies. That's great. Um, what would your number one piece of advice be? Um, make sure that your sell sheet's good. I would say ninety percent of you guys have heard give me the stat before uh, me give this stat before. Ninety percent of inventors that I see outside of InventRight, they're, sell sheets are completely unacceptable they're not good enough to send they they need to accomplish which is not easy guys like six seconds i got it like on the major benefits of your product the other five percent are okay do you want to send something okay and then maybe five percent are good enough like literally five percent are good enough and 95 percent are not good enough um so if you're reaching out To, and so let's say, and the other mistake is they make an anemic list of companies or they make a list of companies that's not the right match. So, you know, they got two or three companies, and we're saying you should have 20 or 30, or maybe you have 20 or 30, but it's like you're totally going down the wrong path. So, my advice, you're asking my number one piece of advice, I'll give you a few pieces of advice, Sebastian, is make sure your sell sheet is good and understandable in six seconds. And I've given this tip before. So if you don't have a coach, this is what I would do. I'll put it on your computer and find somebody that you've never talked to your invention about before. If you ever talking about it before, this will not work. Then stand behind your computer, whether it's a desktop or laptop, pull it up and stare at them in the face and see their reaction. See if they're looking confused. If they ask you questions, say nothing. And you'll hear them ask questions. You're like, oh crap, I thought that was clear. And man, I've said crap like 20 times on this. What the hell? I, you know, um, anyway, so you're like, oh, I thought that was clear. And don't say anything. And if they don't get it, it's not good enough. Now, you need to find somebody to help you. An event, right? Coach, that's what they do to help you accomplish that six seconds. I got it. If it's not us, you got to find somebody else. Okay. So that's the first tip. And then your list of companies. People don't know how to make lists of companies for licensing. So really, I don't have anybody you could send. I could send you to there except an right coach, which is what we do. And it's a very specific skill. So make sure your list of companies is good. Make sure your presentation is good. Then you got to know how to properly reach out. So if you're reaching out on LinkedIn, if you're reaching out on the phone or you're reaching out for your email, you should really be doing all three. You got to be doing all those three things correctly. Okay. Um, so you asked for one if you don't do all those things right, probably plus some other things, you could be wasting your time. You really could. Um, so let's see what else we got here. So that was Sebastian. Thank you, Sebastian. Great question. Um, okay, Spencer says, hey, Andrew, does InventRight offer 3D product animation for complex products like a backpack? or modular products. I wouldn't think a backpack would be complex. We do 3D computer-generated models for our students, but they are still images. So they are not animations, OK? Um, and you don't always need that animation. Inventors get really excited about it, like you got this fancy animation. Invention promotion companies like to promote this to inventors. And like it's like breaking out, and then it's coming back. And it's like, at the core of what you're selling, is the benefit of your product. So you probably don't need an animation to illustrate and demonstrate the benefit of your product. There's probably creative ways you can do that with still images. Sometimes there's too much stuff to put in a one-page sell sheet because they will not look at 20-page PowerPoints, guys. That's why we always advise students just do a one-page sell sheet, never more than one page. They don't have times for slide decks, 20 pages. They will not freaking look at it. Oh, but if they're really interested, they would. They don't have the time, guys. So, but if you have more to relay, sometimes a video can be great. And don't think a video is all moving images. Sometimes it's still images. So, like if our student took a, 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 a virtual prototype, we did, showed a piece of it, there's a narrator, showed another piece of it. You can relay the same thing without it being a fancy animation. And it's kind of overkill with the animation a lot of times. I've seen some nice ones. But it gets expensive. And I talked about one of the invent right approach crux of the event. One of the cruxes of the invent right approach, it's a weird word, crux, but um, is to not spend so much money on each idea because you fell so in love with it that you can't do it a second time. You start to your spouse or yourself or somebody else is like, what the heck are you doing? Like you spent 20K on that. What are you doing? Or even for some people, a couple thousands too much. You know, as long as you're relaying that main benefit, you don't need all the baubles and trinkets to do that and so rarely do you need an animation to relay the benefit if you're clever about it but a lot of people have a hard time doing it and we spend a lot of time with our students with coaching like oh you could do it like this and the students like oh yeah i could they're like oh but it would be so cool if it's animation the coach is like it's not gonna they're still gonna get it they're still gonna get it so if you insist on spending all that money on animation you can do that But I don't think it's necessary. It's not going to matter. It's not going to make any difference. Um, So I think that's really important to know. Um, hmm. My Two Cents, who's another regular, says, what indications let you know if the company that is interested is not the right company for you? So first of all, if they're not selling in a major retailer where you want to be, you shouldn't have added them to your list to begin with. Sometimes people just like Google and they're like, oh, this company, like they're selling. Find out who they are and where they're selling. It's very easy to do once you know the tricks. So, if they're in a major retailer where you want to be and they're somewhat in the same product category, you should be reaching out to them. Um, But sometimes you're like, oh, there's something about the company that I wasn't aware of. They're not as big as I thought, or their plan for the product isn't what. I think would be smart and they wanna do it this way. Or maybe maybe like you wanna do a licensing deal and they're they're just like wanting to test it. They're like, oh, like I had this one student once, they're like, oh, they're gonna just put it on Walmart. And I looked at the the, the information and they're like, no, they're just gonna put it on walmart.com. And they said they wanna do a small test. Doesn't seem like they really wanna to commit to this in that particular case. That might be fine, but so, um, a big part of when you get interest from a company and our negotiation coach and your coach at InventRight will guide you to interview them, to figure out what their plans are. Is their head on straight with this? And it's a lot of back and forth. And I've talked to inventors outside InventRight that sign licensing deals with companies literally not knowing what their plan is and not holding them to that in the contract. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like. Just to give, this is very helpful. We've never, to my knowledge, had advised the students to sign a contract that the company sent first, ever. So does that give you a point of reference? But I see inventors outside InventRight doing that all the time. They don't know how to ask information about like what are your plans with it. They don't feel like they can. They don't know how to ask those smart questions. So. in the process, my two cents is their handle, you know, of when you get interest, you need to interview them about all these things. You're asking If you're not asking them at least 50% as many questions as they're asking you, you're doing it wrong. And people are like, this is a really big company. No, they're not a really big company. They might be, but it's just a person. You can ask them questions. It's okay. And you got to ask them the right questions. And there's this very delicate deal flow that if you just respond to the questions they ask you, almost all the deals will fizzle out. Maybe the most intriguing product, despite the fact that you are not guiding it appropriately, will still get done. But most deals will fizzle out if you're not guiding them. They don't feel like you're guiding them. You're just asking questions, and then you're putting the deal together. Okay. Think about it. You're a marketing manager. Maybe this company has done 10 licensing deals. But you as a marketing manager, you've been with the company two years, you've never done a licensing deal before. Don't be surprised if you get a marketing manager that likes your product, but doesn't know how to move it forward. Don't be surprised that they're getting improper guidance from somebody else in the company. You need to redirect it. Very, very common. That's one of the major reasons why our students get deals done when others don't, okay? So hopefully that's helpful. Um, We get this every time Um, Dapper Dean said, Hey, Andrew, are we required to have an LLC? No, you're not required to have an LLC. But when our students get in the midst of a deal, you should always do the licensing contract under an LLC or a corporation. But it's something you can do when you're close to closing a deal. Company doesn't care if you say, hey, I got this new LLC. I know I was doing it under my name before, but I want to do it under this new LLC. They'll be like, they don't care. They just want your product. So it's not something you have to do now. Um, And when we teach our students to keep their costs low, it's not like, By starting a business, you can have all these giant write-offs because we're teaching our students to keep their costs down. So you don't have a bunch of write-offs. So does it make sense in some states where the LLC fees is $800 or $1,000 a year, you've got to maintain that? Sometimes it doesn't. But if, let's say, you have millions in the bank and you got some liability, do I think trying to license your product, exposing you to lots of liability? No, not at all. But if you're like worried about that, go ahead and file it. Some states do, filing LLC is $20. I forget what state it was $20. It's ridiculous. I love that. I like this. Great. I think, God, like I moved from California for 13 years. They bury you in rules and regulations and taxes and stuff. And I live in Nevada now, which is better. But sometimes it pisses me off because it's close to California. A lot of people moving from California here. They're like, oh, Because our state doesn't have as much money to make all these decisions. They're like, oh, California did that. Okay, we're going to do that now. One thing I like about Nevada is there's no state tax. You should get a benefit from living in the freaking desert. You know, now my partner or other co-founder, Stephen, he lives in Nevada, but it's a very small part of Lake Tahoe up in the mountains that's on the Nevada side. Most of it's on the California side where they still get you up the yin-yang for for taxes. So... um, But anyway, so um, dapper, you know, no, you don't have to do it now. That's not legal advice, not business advice. Consult your tax advisor when it's right for you. Most of our students do it when they're in the midst of a deal. Because our negotiation coach will tell you, if you're a student of ours, never, ever do a deal under your own name. Always do it on an LLC. It's just an additional level of protection. Okay. Um. I love their handle, they're irregular, their handle is don't touch me, don't touch me. Um, if I am re- just redesigning a current product shape, let's say from a triangle, it's always funny, these hypotheticals. Let's say from a triangle to a circle, will that be enough of point of difference for me to potentially license? How would one best pitch a simple redesign of a current product? Hey, Andrew, thanks for sharing your time and knowledge it's quite touching. Well, that's nice for you to say that. Quite touching. Is that a play on words since your handle is don't touch me? I think it might be. But um, anyway, I can't answer these questions in these hypotheticals and you can't share your product. So saying, you know changing something from a triangle to a circle might be like whoa that's just wow, that's so cool it adds so much additional benefit to the product from a marketing standpoint and maybe from a patenting standpoint but i can't answer it when it's a hypothetical like that you know it's you, what you need to do is look at the other products that are kind of in the same space and then look at yours and goes does mine have that little extra oomph?" where if people saw these and they saw mine that a percent a decent percentage of people would buy mine over that one because of this change. If it's a triangle instead of a circle, because it makes it more comfortable or easier to use or less painful or whatever it is, okay? So um, so hopefully that's helpful. But I, without knowing the exact product, I can't answer. And that's the downside of these Q and A's. But there's so many upsides. I, I, the upside is that we're providing you great advice and we're not charging you a, a dime, which is, again, my reminder, if you want to say thank you to myself, and the entire crew to met, right? If you're not subscribed, we're trying to get to 60,000 subscribers. I think we're around 100, 700 away from that. So please subscribe down below before you leave. And if you're already, if you're already subscribed, don't click on it. That'll unsubscribe you. If you did that, then click on subscribe again. But please help us out. and Just watch all our videos. Another way you can say thank you watch all our videos which are super helpful we're not in there pitching you on our coaching program every two minutes I think we're pretty cool about it and we really give it up guys we really give up a lot of great tips um is that enough for a lot of you to license the product sometimes no you know you you need a coach but um like our videos comment on the videos the interaction's great as well so um, hmm Richard said um uh, When you pass away, does your royalties get passed down to your children or your spouse? Um, You know, you would think that if you did what we insist, that you file an LLC and they're paying royalties to that LLC and you, you put something in your will about that LLC getting transferred to your children, I see no reason why not. I can't offer you legal advice in that area. I see no reason why not. Here's the reality, though. Let's be real about this, guys. Have I seen products that are licensed to sell for 20 years, the life of the patent? Yeah, they're out there. Some products sell for a year, two years, three years, four years. Who says a product is going to sell for 20 years? You know, the, the marketplace is very competitive. Your product may make no sense four years from now. I think that sometimes it's funny, the the um the nichier products that are like, you know, in an industry that's not that innovative and you license it to a company or I wouldn't say not that innovative, but it's kind of niche. and other people don't really want to knock it off because they're like, oh, they got it. And I can see the market's kind of limited, but you're just continuing to earn royalties year after year after year. Maybe it's a cons- industrial product or something like consumer products are a little more fickle. They're more go in and out, but some of the consumer products just stick around. Um those are ones that you know your children might be getting royalties you know 15 years from now that is possible and there are cases like that there was this one product um phase 10 the gentleman that invented this he was he was not a student of ours he's a famous inventor this particular one i think is the only one up on the shelf over here that that was not i think that's yeah i should probably take it off the shelf because is this is not a student um I think he's been earning royalties on this. I I don't, I I think it's 25 years. It may even be 30. That's crazy. Is that typical? No, that's not typical. Um, And so, uh, yeah, but do an LLC. And then if you turn over, if your will or trust turns over the LLC to your your spouse or your kids, I I see no reason why not. But don't be under the delusion that all your products are going to sell for 20 years. My God, how many products sell for 20 years? Not many. Um, um, <laughs> um mike said uh andrew i got my patent pending status but sat on it it's been two years i'm ready to pitch my product now can i file for the patent pending status again you absolutely can if you haven't made public disclosure um selling it as swap me putting it up on a website you can file it same provisional again and you'll get from the date you filed it. So let's say you filed it today, you'll get a year from today. You can't extend that year. But so unlikely that somebody came up with it during that period of time you haven't seen it come up with it. Just file that provisional again. Um, and don't feel like you missed out. And I talk to so many inventors that feel like, I let my PPA expire, now I'm screwed. I'm like, who told you that? No, that's not true. And people like, oh, thank you, Andrew. And I also save people from folks that, and it, I hate this, and this is, there's so many, there's good patent attorneys out there, but some of them really suck and they, they, they don't lie to you, but they leave so much out. So I talked to inventors, and like, my provisional is running out in a month. My patent attorney told me, if I don't file a full utility and give them 10 grand, that, that I won't be able to, um, that'll lose my priority date. Yes, you'll lose the date that you filed your provisional on, but what he didn't tell you is if you hadn't made public disclosure, you can file it again and you get a year from today. And it's so unlikely that anybody came up with that in that period of time. But attorneys are about everything go wrong because that's their job, but everything go wrong, but they're not being practical about it. And they're also wanting to get 10 grand out of you for some patent. And so they, they didn't tell you, you can file it again because that's not how they've been trained. You know, I've never met a patent attorney that's licensed anything, so they're not they don't know the practical nature of this. And they're saying, they're just going, oh, you're gonna lose your priority date. But they're making you believe you're gonna lose all your rights and that's BS, and it's not true. Um, but they're also worried about the liability, like if I don't advise them to do this, then he, you know, and then, anyway, it's just it's just stupid what some patent attorneys will say in their own best interest, to be quite frank. And also because they don't know how to license. It's It's both, really. Um, It's ignorance about licensing. And then it's also, I want to get the sale, right? Um, So we've come up on the hour. Uh, We haven't gotten to everybody's questions, but we got to a lot of them. And as every time I say this, if you show up early, even show up before the hour, and post your questions. We'll, we'll get to, we'll get to um, those definitely. So don't worry if you didn't get yours answered. Well, of course, you can sign up with our coaching program and coach will answer every, all your questions for six months. And you can get another six months of our alumni program. But um, if you want to get your questions answered, I'm here to help. If you show up early, I will answer it. Okay. Um, so that's pretty cool. How many people do that? Um, So I want to remind you guys to take care, keep inventing. Um, Don't hesitate to check out inventright.com. Go there in the upper right-hand corner. There's a free resources tab. There's a ton of free resources. Sign up for our webinar series. Check out all those free resources at inventright.com and book a call with Sylvia or Dana to talk about our program. You might be like, I'm not ready yet, Andrew. Talk to them about it, and you might sign up. We get people that sign up within days, weeks, months, years, but at least you know, oh, I understand what they're offering. And then you'll decide and nobody's going to be pushy with you. Dana and Sylvie will not never be pushy with you. They're really cool people. So know and feel comfortable with that. And um, know you got a resource, you know, that's ready to ready to back you guys up and support you. So I want to you guys take care, keep inventing, and we'll catch with you guys next time. See you guys. Bye.